0: Good morning. Please turn to Psalm 22 this morning. This morning we're going to talk about Psalm 22 because Easter is coming up and because Matthew, Mark, and John quoted from Psalm 22 in reference to Jesus' crucifixion. So I chose Psalm 22 for its relevance to Easter. Before we start, let's pray. Lord, use this psalm to give us more understanding and a fresh appreciation for what you did for us on the cross. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. At the top of Psalm 22 in your Bible, there should be a phrase that says something like, for the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, a Psalm of David. This may look like it is a heading placed there by the editor of your Bible, but it's really not. It is actually verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. I believe it's part of the inspired text. This psalm was originally set to the music of a song called The Doe of the Morning. Unfortunately, that song has been lost to history, and we have no clue what it sounded like. The important thing, however, is that this is Hebrew poetry set to music. And as you know, poetry and music are creative and not always intended to be interpreted literally as we will see with David's references to bulls, lions, dogs, and a worm. Since verse 1 of Psalm 22 is quoted by Jesus on the cross, and parts of this psalm look very much like it is describing crucifixion, it is tempting just to look beyond David directly to Jesus. But this is a psalm of David, and we need to start by seeing how it applies to David first. And then we can go back and see what it has to do with Jesus. So in verses one and two, David cries out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you don't answer by night, but I find no rest. I want you to notice that in verse two, David says that he cries out to God day and night. But that was not true of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was placed on the cross in the morning and died on the cross before sunset. So that's one reason we need to start by seeing how this applies first to David. And then we can go back and see what that has to do with Jesus. Now, unfortunately, we don't know the specific historical situation David was in that led to this cries of anguish. I suspect it was during the time David was on the run from his enemies. Whatever it was, he had been calling out to God day and night for help, and God didn't seem to be answering. God was not delivering or saving him from whatever trouble he was in. In fact, judging from the description in this psalm, I'm guessing that David may have been captured by his enemies. They surrounded him to insult him, They've stripped him. It looks like they may have tied his hands and feet and stretched him out between pegs or pillars to the point where his arms and legs are out of joint. He's been beaten and is bleeding out and suffering from raging thirst. He's on the verge of being executed by sword if God doesn't intervene soon. Of course, I'm just speculating, but whatever David's situation was, it was not only desperate. It sounds like it was contrary to the way David was used to thinking about God. God had always been his protector, and God was Israel's protector. So David prays to God in verses 3 to 5, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. In the midst of his anguish, David appeals to God who is enthroned as the Holy One of Israel. David is appealing to God on the basis of who God is and what he had done for Israel. When Israel turned to God and trusted him, God saved them. God had delivered them from Egypt through the Red Sea. Ironically, even when they didn't trust him, he sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. He parted the Jordan River and gave Joshua victory over and over again in the promised land. Even when they turned away from God in Judges, God delivered them repeatedly when they repented. So David is like, God, you delivered our ancestors when they called out to you. Why have you forsaken me? Verse 6, David then begins to describe what he's going through. He says, but I am a worm and not a man. David is obviously not an actual worm. What he means is explained in the next phrase. I am scorned by everyone, despised by the people. David's enemies may have been his own people who have turned against him. They insult him and mock him. Verses 7 and 8 say, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. David's faith in the Lord was well known, but not everyone in Israel shared that faith. Many were idolaters. Now that they apparently have David in their power, he is helpless before them, and they mock his faith, challenging the Lord to deliver him. Verses 9 and 10, David tell God, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. David says he's been dependent on God since he was an infant, implying that like a baby, he is still totally dependent on God. So in verses 11 and 12, he pleads, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Bashan is what we today would call the Golan Heights, located to the north and east of the Sea of Galilee. David is likening his enemies to the large bulls in that area. Imagine some big bulls surrounding you, pawing at the ground, snorting and threatening to run you over. That's how David sees his enemies. Imagine walking downtown in Minneapolis and suddenly being surrounded by a half dozen violent thugs who are about 6'4 and weigh 250 pounds. Like David, you might say you felt like you were surrounded by a bunch of bulls. Or, if they beat the tar out of you, you might liken them, in verse 13 and 14, to roaring lions that tear their prey, opening their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Now, as I said, we don't know anything about the specific historical situation David found himself in, But it looks to me like his enemies have beaten him down like being trampled by bulls. Being poured out like water could just be a figure of speech for being emotionally drained, but I think it's more likely that he's been cut, stabbed, speared, and is bleeding out as if he had been attacked by lions. For all we know, his enemies may have even stretched him out with ropes to the point where his bones were literally out of joint. At the end of verse 14, David says, My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. This is likely a figurative way of saying that I'm losing all hope. And David may have been losing hope, but not Jesus. And this is another reason we need to interpret this with reference to David first, and then we can see what it has to do with Jesus. In verse 15, David says, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. potsherd is part of a broken clay pot. As dry as dry can be. I read that the loss of blood creates insatiable thirst. One's mouth is literally dried up. To be laid in the dust of death is to be on death's door. Death is near if God doesn't intervene soon. <clears throat> David then his enemies to dogs. And he's not talking about cute little pet puppies. He's talking about vicious wild dogs. In verse 16, he says, dogs surround me. David explains what he means in the next phrase, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, instead of they pierced my hands and my feet, a few translations say something like, villains encircle me like a lion. But the oldest manuscript of Psalms in existence comes from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was written at least 200 years before Jesus' time. And that scroll says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Also, the oldest Greek translation of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, was translated about 200 years before Christ, and it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. So although your study Bible notes may say something about as a lion, I think the Bible you are most likely using is right to translate this as, they pierced my hands and feet. Now, no one is really sure how this applied to David, since as far as anyone knows, crucifixion probably hadn't been invented until at least four or five hundred years after David's time. Whatever David's enemies did to him, verses 17 and 18 say, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Sounds to me like they've been torturing David possibly stretching him out between poles and stakes. They have stripped him and are dividing his clothes as spoils for the victory. They gloat about their victory over him. So David cries out to God in verses 19 to 21, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I think death is imminent for David. Being rescued from the mouth of the lions, from the horns of the wild oxen, from the dogs, and from the sword are all metaphors for death. They've had their cruel fun with David and are about to kill him. Now, the NIV is a great translation and is very reliable and accurate, but I think they missed the boat in verse 21 rescue me from the mouth of the lions, save me from the horns of the wild oxen. It should say, rescue me from the mouth of the lions. You have saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. That's what the Hebrew says. And the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, and New King James Version, and the Holman Christian Standard Bible all get it right. The idea seems to be that even as David is praying, Save me from the mouth of the lion, God answers his prayer and rescues him from his enemies in mid verse, so to speak. You have saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. If I were making this into a movie, I would have David being tortured in one of the walled cities of Israel with his enemies about to put him to death, when suddenly David's men burst through the city gates or pour over the walls just in time to defeat his enemies and save him from death. So David says, you have saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. And because of that sudden deliverance, David says in verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. God had answered David's prayer and delivered him. David's response is to publicly give praise to God. Verse 23 continues that praise. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Notice that to fear the Lord is to honor and revere him. David continues in verse 24 For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. David is calling on others to praise God with him. Because even though everything looked desperate and hopeless, God did, not, God did finally deliver David, the afflicted one, despite appearances. God had not despised or scorned David after all. So in verse 25, David says, From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Now, we're not told what David vowed, but my guess is that he vowed to continue to serve God if only God would deliver him. And God did deliver him. In verses 36 or 26 to 31, David then looks ahead to a future time of ultimate deliverance, when the Lord will have dominion over all nations, <clears throat> when there will be feasting and the poor will no longer go hungry, and all the families of the earth will worship and serve the Lord. This psalm began with God's powerful actions to save Israel. It ends with God's powerful dominion over all nations, which will be fulfilled during Jesus' millennial kingdom on earth. Now the fascinating thing about this psalm is that it seems to look more much more like what happened to Jesus than anything we know about David. So although this psalm was primarily a psalm of David, the Gospel writers believed that much of it was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. For example, in Psalm 22.7, David says, All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Matthew 27.39 uses some of the same words about Jesus, saying, Those who passed by hurl insults at him, shaking their heads. Psalm 22.8 gives an example of the insults hurled at David. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. In Matthew 27.43, Jesus' enemies say, He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. Psalm 22.18 says, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots from my garment. We don't know of any specific time in David's life when this happened. But this is exactly what happened to Jesus. Matthew 27, 35 says, When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Not only that, but 22:14, 14, David says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Again, we don't know anything specific in David's life when this happened, but it describes the crucifixion of Jesus to a T. David's blood was poured out like water, not only, or Jesus' blood was poured out like water, not only from the flogging and the crown of thorns, but especially from the spear thrust into his side. His bones being out of joint describes crucifixion exactly, even though crucifixion hadn't been invented in David's time. When Psalm 22:15 15 says, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. The blood loss from the beating and crucifixion would cause a raging thirst and the mouth could literally feel as dry as a potsherd. Psalm 22 began with David exclaiming, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is exactly what Jesus exclaimed in Matthew 22:46 in a loud voice on the cross. I wonder if one reason Jesus cried out my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was in part to remind onlookers of Psalm 22, implying that it was ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus' death on the cross. That is the main lesson for this morning. Identifying himself with David's suffering, Jesus willingly suffered the torture of that cross for you and for me. Our reasonable response should be to commit our heart to him as the king and commander of our life, out of gratitude for the amazing love and grace he demonstrated toward us on that cross. Let me leave you with just one other lesson to take home. When David and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a feeling of utter abandonment by God, like their prayers weren't being answered. Have you ever felt that way? Like your prayers aren't going any higher than the ceiling and God just doesn't seem to care? You hear about the joy of the Lord and the answered prayers of others, but your life was a train wreck and it felt like God had abandoned you. I've been there. I suspect all of us have. I have, however, encountered Christians who seem to think that Christianity should always be a mountaintop experience. Nonsense. Some of the greatest people of faith in history have been beaten down by circumstances. Job is one of the most prominent examples. In Job 6, he cries out to God, If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery could be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh all the sand of the seas. Then there's Jeremiah who says in Jeremiah 20, Cursed be the day I was born. In 1 Corinthians 2.18, I think it's 2 Corinthians 2.18 when Paul says he despised even of life. That could mean the circumstances were so bad he thought he would soon die. Or it could mean that circumstances were so bad he wished he would die. When life is a train wreck, it doesn't mean you've been abandoned by God. It may just mean we live in a fallen and sinful and evil world. But as Psalm 22 points out, there will come a time when the Lord will have dominion over all the earth. That will be a time when he will put an end to suffering and wipe away all the tears. Until that time, all we can do is weep with those who weep, as Paul taught. Pray for deliverance like David and Jesus did. And like Jesus, be faithful to God regardless of the circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, so easy to preach, so hard to do. When life gets us down, help us to turn to you for comfort and help, and to be faithful to you regardless of the circumstances. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.